Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Welcome to this episode of the SickCast. We'll be exploring a different take to the COVID-19 discussion than what we usually talk about. This time, we'll be looking into how it'll affect the world order. We'll go into detail about shifting entrepreneurship and businesses, how it may change the Sikh community, and staying connected with the physical Sangat. The audio you'll be hearing is from a webinar that we did with some really interesting voices. Hosting the discussion will be Dr. Harsawayan Agor, who's currently based in New Jersey. She grew up in Punjab, India, before coming to the United States, where she completed her pediatric residency at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta. Next, we have Dr. Amarpreet Singh Sani. He is currently the CEO of Instilla, a company focused on embolic therapies for hypervascular tumors. He holds a master's and a PhD in chemical engineering from the University of Texas and has been a pioneer in numerous patented medical technologies used in biomaterials and biosurgery. And lastly is Dr. Kuldeep Singh Gallo. He and his wife founded Women Rise, a society based in British Columbia, Canada, dedicated to reducing drug and gang violence in their community. But it has now since become an organization focused on COVID prevention and feeding the needy. He's a graduate from the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin, Ireland, and manages a family practice in Abbotsford, BC. These discussions are from live webinars that the Sick Research Institute hosts. So if you like what you hear, but had some questions that you wish you could have asked the presenters, head over to our upcoming webinar page at bigmarker.com forward slash sickery and register for one of our upcoming discussions. Hope to see you there. Starting us off is Dr. Harsohan Akor. Vaigruji Kakalsa, Vaigruji Kifateh. Thank you so much for being with us in this webinar and I'm grateful to my esteemed panelists for being here today. We are in the middle of a singular event in history. While most of us deal with individual problems um, on a varying basis, um, it is rare that everybody all across the world is um, dealing with a single problem at the same time. And so we are in the midst of that, thanks to COVID. And uh, interesting that a tiny little virus has brought all of us to our knees. Um, we are bound together by this impact. And it, there's been a lot of talk of fear, disease, loss of freedom, loss of movement, loss of control. And um, I'd like to begin by asking each of you um, to reflect on how you are dealing with this and the change that uh, COVID has brought into your lives, both um, sort of professionally and, and particularly as a sick. Um, Dr. Um, Asani, would you like to start? Sure, Vagraji Khalsa, Vagraji Fateh, thank you for including me in this uh, uh, webinar. Um, I think uh, the presence of this virus um, is sort of a global wake-up call, uh, and I think it is a dislocation uh, that is taking place. So uh, instead of our lives being continuous the way momentum was guiding us forward, it's a dislocation. And now we tend to view any disruption initially as being negative because we are happy with how things are, or at least we know what things are. So any change that takes place is uncomfortable. But if you think about it, any activity that we do, initially it is uh, when we are learning, it's uncomfortable. And then we learn to adapt and we realize that there is actually some merit to it. 
Um, so I think this situation is something like that, which is forcing us to understand and try to reflect on what we were doing, how we were living our lives, and whether that was a sustainable lifestyle, a good lifestyle. Were we spending enough time with family? Were we doing enough uh, reflection? Were we wasting too many resources? Were we overindulging? Uh, there are a number of those types of things that sort of cause us to reflect. And then asking, saying, if I have to reorient my life, if I have to make a change in how I conduct myself personally, how much exercise I get, what do I eat, drink, uh, uh, how much time, how late should I stay out, when should I wake up, it's causing us to kind of go in and look at each of these activities. And then from a business standpoint, a professional standpoint, uh, what are the kinds of, uh, I mean, am I really doing things that are Kirat type of living, earning a living? Uh, what should I do differently for my employees, uh, for my business, uh, for my day-to-day -day work, commuting? Uh, can things be done differently? So I think uh, this is a singular moment for us to re-examine many of these fundamental aspects. And the question is pretty broad. So while we may initially look at it as only the negative in the spirit of Chardi Kala mm -hmm. and optimism, a Sikh is always looking at it as saying, okay, these are new rules. What good can come out of it? And to look at it optimistically and say, there is probably some good in here. We just have not discovered it fully yet. I'm not trying to minimize the challenges. I think the challenges are huge. Uh, the health challenges are there. Uh, the livelihood challenges are there. But we should also uh, not look at it only as a detrimental thing, but something that might actually produce uh, benefit in the long term. Meaning even if you look at the overall deaths from other traffic accidents and other types of fatalities and crime, these things have gone down while fatalities have risen. Of course, if you are affected by the disease, it's a very different thing. But on the macro side of things, there has been some other changes too. Uh, so I think um, we are, uh, we, we can talk more about uh, how I'm dealing with it on the on my business aspect and on my personal life aspect and stuff, but I think I'll, I'll stop here and we can always go deeper into any of those. Thank topics. you so much. Dr. Kahlo, um, what are your thoughts? I'm particularly interested in, um, in the organization you have and how that is um, making changes uh, to deal with uh, COVID. Thank you for inviting me to this session. Um, uh, you know what? This COVID-19 has affected everyone's life. And um, uh, the, the way we were doing business at work, uh, seeing patients face to face, that has completely changed. Um, uh, we initially continued to see the patients at the, at the clinic. Um, our staff became very fearful. And we also saw patients that were not following the rules. Um, especially those people who were coming from outside the country, they were supposed to go to isolation for two weeks periods. And um, they were showing up in our office uh, without gloves, without masks, putting everybody at risk. And um, so we had to, we decided to close our doors. And um, we are seeing patients on, um, on Zoom, um, on uh, telemedicine, but not, not much is happening face to face. But, Initially, when the panic happened, uh, people wanted to be tested. So we were seeing them, we would dress up, go outside into our back of the clinic, and um, we had patients lined up. Um, it's like we were directing traffic. 
And so they were all waiting outside. You, you just just come. I'm going to do your testing, and then and he would leave the next. Then the next patient would come. So it was um, completely, you know, we usually do it privately. It has to be confidential. Here we were doing these uh, swabs back in the backyard, basically, and um, so. Uh, it, the work and changed uh, things like um, my uh, my parents they live only five houses down the street and uh, I didn't go visit my parents anymore because if just in case I had it I didn't want to pass it on to them because I was getting exposed to people who had symptoms. Um, what we saw initially in British Columbia was that a lot of people still had the flu. All the people who were going for COVID testing they were coming back positive with. The, the influenza. And within 10 days, influenza stopped in British Columbia. I, I didn't see any positive influenza after that because the social distancing, uh, you know, everybody taking precautions, it stopped influenza. So I thought that was pretty uh, amazing. So that's another, that's a positive thing that came out of it. Less people had upper respiratory tract infections. So, um, uh, that that was a uh, that's a I think there's going to be good coming out of this because we're going to be taking better care of ourselves. The, uh, the women rise you mentioned uh, there um, that is an organization that we we uh, family and friends we we got together uh, to work with our. Um, uh, I, I think the, the the audience probably doesn't know what's why uh, this organization came into being. So maybe I can touch a little bit on that. Um, Abbotsford uh, became an epicenter of gang violence in uh, 19, 2017, 18. And um, it, the, one of the incidents, the, the last shooting of a young man was a 19-year-old, uh, Jagmeer Singh Mali. He's, he was coming home, driving home from university, and um, he was almost home. He was like one minute away from his home, and he was stopped, and he was shot. And he had nothing to do with gangs and drugs. Basically, the whole whole city of Abbotsford was up in arms. And how could this happen? And um, uh, I happened to uh, visit the family, and uh, the, the father basically said, Yes, my son's gone, but this should not ever happen again in our town. And uh, he, he asked us to work together. And then and, and we organized as women rights, men and women working together to make Abbotsford a better place. And um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's been 18 months. We haven't had a shooting. We've been working with the police. Uh, we work with the city. We work with the politicians to, to bring more resources um, bring more awareness, working um, with the Gurdwaras, the, with the Mandars. Basically, everybody's working together. And uh, when everybody works together, you see change. And because the same way COVID is affecting everybody, and hopefully everybody will work together and we can have a better world. Thank you very much. Yes, um, it sounds like both of you have been doing um, different ways of uh, working to change the community or change the world. Um, uh, and um, earlier um, in our conversation, Dr. Sani had mentioned that he likened um, COVID to being like the Rahao Dituk that um, Baikji had was using this to as a pause for all of us to pause and reconsider. 
And as we look at Gurbani, um, you know, Gurbani talks about Dukh Daru Sukh Rog Bhaya. And at some point we have to figure out, you know, our life as we thought of it as Sukh, was, was that really, um, uh, you know, making us sick in all the different choices that we were doing? And is this Dukh come as our medicine? And so how do we use this Dukh? How do we use this medicine to transform our lives? How can we use Gurbani and our Sikhi values of Nam Japna, Van Chakna, Kirat Karni to sustain ourselves in this time, um, especially in a time where um, our usual normative behaviors are not possible? You know, our Gurdwaras are closed. Um, and, you know, our Sangat can't get together in, in, um, in physical means. Um, we are separated from each other. Um, you know, our livelihood is at stake for many, many people. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen in the world is a big question mark. And so as we, as we step into this, this moment, um, how, what do we learn from it? How, do, how does Sikhi sustain you at this time? And how do you see um, it helping you to go forward? Um, Dr. Sani, would you like to go? Uh, I think if you look at uh, the three pillars of uh, Sikhi, as you pointed out, Nam, Japna, Vanchakna, and Kirat Karna, uh, the uh, Sikhi, uh, to some extent, when it was established, uh, it uh, was uh, creating a system that did not need to be institutionalized in that it did not need to have a physical presence that you must go only to the church or must go only to the temple to be able to achieve your connection with Vaiguru. Uh, which is not to say that the concept of Sangat was not very powerful because I think the concept of Sangat and uh, the harmony and the good vibrations that come from the Sangat are very, very powerful. And I think they uh, collectively lift everybody up. So that is a very important aspect. And that is something that we, with this social distancing, uh, will be curtailed to some extent. But what we have seen, uh, for example, uh, in uh, our Gurdwara over here, uh, we started a digital channel called Nishkam TV. And Nishkam TV is able to broadcast uh, the Kirtan, even though the Paisabs are and the Sangat is singing Kirtan isolated. Uh, but everybody is collectively still there. So I think the what this is doing is it's saying that the physicality of the Gurdwara uh, building is not something you need to be worried about, but it is the togetherness of the Sangat and the vibrations that you're getting. It may be a little bit longer distance, but you can still feel them. You can still feel them and be collectively immersed in that experience. So while you can also do, given the fact that this how, as we talked about, which is causing everybody to sit down and pause and reflect a little bit. So how is not just a pause, it is pause and reflect to think what it is that you're going to be doing differently. I think no, never in the history, in near, near history, have we had such a pause where collective action has ceased. You know, even when, when there is a war or even when there is 9-11 or something like that, collective action had not ceased to the level that it has ceased now. Where you interacting with other human beings itself has become a risky proposition and a challenge. Um, most of human existence as a social animal is based on interacting with other people and our concept of Sangat is also deeply imbued with that. But the concept of Sangat is, some aspect of it is physical, but I think a lot of it is uh, connecting at a spiritual, emotional level. And I think that is still possible with technology. We just need to pivot. We need to change. So those might be some things that come from it. In terms of Kirat Karna, 
Yeah, I think it is a time for us to examine our lifestyle uh, of what uh, and choice of work that we've done. Some of us may not have the luxury to do that because we have to do what we have to do. But if those of us who do have the luxury to do that, to reimagine how we are conducting ourselves, are we doing things that really, truly help not only our fellow being, but the environment, the world at large, the Mata Dharat, are we in a sustainable world? Are we, and are the actions that we are taking sustainable or not? It's forcing us to kind of reevaluate that and cut out, say, excessive travel, uh, which is not amounting to much. So I think there'll be some good that comes from it, where people who don't need to travel shouldn't be traveling. Many things can be accomplished like we are doing today without having sort of the physical. In fact, we may find that some things are accomplished better. For example, this webinar will be recorded and people who aren't able to make it live can listen to it afterwards. So we may discover new things. So being eternally optimistic, which is the nature of a Sikh, uh, to look at and live in Chardi Kala, to not be down uh, in times like this, but to say, what good can come out of it? What can I do differently? What, how can I reorient my life, my business, my work, my interactions? And uh, am I living a more sustainable life? So that Sarbadda Bhala means not only Bhala of Sikhs, other human beings, but other living creatures and inorganic, the world, the earth at large. Because I think a lot of this seems to be almost like the earth having a virus and the virus is us actually, which is sort of depleting things of resources and with no pushback from creatures and things that don't have a voice. So I think in that aspect, we should examine the, what we're doing from a Kirat standpoint and saying, are we truly doing Kirat? And then the one Chakna, I think goes without saying the concept of Daan, the concept of giving, if you have anything which is you have, and I think you have itself is a, a foreign kind of a concept as far as uh, uh, true for, for a true Sikh, which is that it is not yours, it's just your a temporary custodian. It just happens to be that somehow wealth or whatever else has parked itself close to you but it is not yours to have or yours to give away even. So I think part of that should be it's sharing. If you have it, it's there for other, to share with other people. And particularly in these times where a lot of folks whose lives were depending on service providing and interacting with other people. I mean, I, you know, for example, we have our personal trainers, folks who come over and do work with us. You have to kind of reach out. Some of those folks are not able to earn a lifestyle. So, but it's, transient, hopefully that will return. But in this difficult time, one can reach out and help in many of those uh, aspects. Uh, certainly there are projects that uh, are a tactical level that people are doing. There are, you know, we're helping out with the uh, University of Texas has a, uh, you know, ventilator driver project, uh, those types of things. So there are many projects that we will find within our uh, surrounding um, you know, my son is doing things where uh, they're making masks and stuff, PPE equipment for um, hospitals, etc. So I'm sure all of us can find things around us where we are able to give and help out. Uh, so instead of being six are people of action, we want to make sure that we are active, we are involved in the community, and there are many ways, and I'm sure we can all find ways to give, give back to the community from tan, man, and dhan. It is not only about dhan, it is about tan and man. And even if we have to give people solace, reaching out over the phone, reaching out over Zoom, uh, to friends that we haven't talked to in a, in a while, family members that we haven't talked to in a while, or other people that uh, you know may have a need. Uh, uh, there are several surrounding old age homes where particularly these 
the disease has ravaged uh, things uh, quite a bit, nursing homes, etc. Reaching out uh, in those places to give people hope, solace, exchange a few kind words, it costs nothing, uh, but it gives people a sense of community, of togetherness. Thank you. Dr. Carlo, I was curious about, um, you have done uh, this wonderful job of making a big change in Abbotsford with your um, with your community organization and um, get involving the young people. Um, I'm curious as to how you are um, using um, this to pass on the message of Gurbani to the young people and drawing them in and how they're, what's happening these days with them as they go through this period of COVID? What are they, what are they uh, taking part in and doing? So one of the changes, uh, one of the decisions as a collective we made was to bring the our youngsters into the Gurdwara. And um, um, we have a gentleman named Baltesh Singh. He's an RCMP officer, retired now. But um, he is, he's got the talent. He does Kirtan, he does Katha. He can connect with the young people. And um, so in 2019, we had, we got all the Gurdwaras involved in Abbotsford. We would have one uh, uh, program after program like in January of 2019, we had three programs at the, each of the three Gurdwaras in Abbotsford. And then we did another three in May, June and July. And then we did another uh, two programs in the fall. And Baltesh Singh has this, he's got, he connects with the young people. And um, young people were flocking to the Gurdwaras because he also speaks in English. And that's, we're gonna have to adjust how we, spread the message. We got to use the medium that our youth understands. So often kids go to the Gurdwara, they do matatik. That's about it. They don't understand what the guru is trying to say, what the um, what the kirtan is trying to tell them, what uh, the kathavach is trying to tell them. Um, so they they go, they, they experience the concept of sangat, but they don't really get the true message of the guru. And and Baltesh Singh has is a special talent. He's able to connect with the youth. My children love listening to Baltesh Singh. So what what we're doing now is uh, every evening at five o'clock, Baltesh Singh continues on Facebook, and we do he does Kirtan and he does Simran, and uh, that's how we connect. And then people send messages to him, and he answers questions, and so that we are continuing the with. Um, Kurbani, Kirtan, Simran. Uh, that is that is the essence. If, if you can instill the the Guru's values within ourselves and uh, to our children, there's nothing better, uh, in my opinion. Um, so the other thing was uh, because of the Gurdwaras are closed, um, Langar has also closed in the Gurdwaras, and some of the people living on the streets they used to go to the Gurdwaras and have Langar there, and uh, one of the things we've been doing is having langar once a month for them. And um, they asked us, when are the Gurdwaras going to open? And because we used to go there very often for, for meals. And um, so uh, our Women Rise organization, we got together and we decided to, to take the langar to these people um, four times a week. So the Gurdwaras uh, have been contributing and uh, making, preparing the langar. And our, our volunteers, they go to the streets, they hand out the food. Um, 
it was not only what feeding the, the, the hungry, but we also wanted to get the youth involved. And um, that's been very successful. And we've been very successful at that. Um, more and more young people are volunteering. They want to do this seva. They see, once they, once they see um, other people are doing, they want to want to participate in that as well. So we're very very pleased with how things are progressing and and um, with our longer. I think uh, making a broader statement. I think the the Sikh community, the Sikh nation, has done very well. Whether it's in New Delhi, whether it's in England, whether in the U.S. or Canada. I think we're getting a very positive response from the general community. Um, uh, I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we need to take the message of the Guru and then share it with, with the world as well. Because Guru Granth Sahib is not only meant for the uh, the Sikhs, but it's meant for the whole, whole world. It's a Jagat Guru, means it's for the whole world. And if you can share that message of the Guru, we, we will make a better place Yes, it's it's interesting. Um, I hear about um, what you are doing and about what other people, our communities have been doing, and the six have very much taken that the concept of kirat and panchakna and service and seva and uh, and are going ahead with it. Um, I'm as I reflect on that, it makes me um, reminds me of um, sort of the concept of dan and sikhi, and as Pivir um, Singh has talked about it too. Dan is um, at some level more than just giving. You know, you can give of yourself, you can give your time, your money, your service. Um, there are many ways to give, but um, but giving is uh, dan is more than that. It's 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 almost a route. It's an it's an exercise to um, actually um, hone our own selves so that we can get to a point where. Uh, we are giving without any seeking of compensation or recognitions ourselves, um, because that's how Gurbani says uh, when we can do that and when we can look at every person around us and see um, Vaigurji reflected in them, given the classic example of Pai Kanayaji. You know, he saw Guru Gobind Singh's Murat in every soldier that was lying wounded in battle, irrespective of who they were. And so, so Dan sort of encompasses that, that sense of being beyond us beyond ourselves. Um, and so just taking that on, um, I'm curious also about your thoughts about what we think we should do. At this point, obviously, the need of the R is to feed people and help them. But in the long run, um, it needs to be more than feeding people's bodies. It's feeding our souls. How do we take the concept of Dan and try to um, Try to try to make it so that we can give back more as a community in Essex, um, and you know, and and in, in that sense, it's very different from sort of the philanthropy in the Western world. And um, Dr. Callum, what do you think about that? How do you see your your maybe your efforts and your organization, uh, you know, continuing on in the future and the changed world that we have? Basically, um, Guru Nanak Deji tells us in Japji Sab. Badda data tell Basically, God is what's the creator is giving us everything, and he asks for nothing in return. Um, so, and then um, you're, you've been mentioning five years, saying he's basically saying the same thing that it's really not ours to give. And when we give, when we get ego out of it, we haven't achieved anything. Akhanjor. 
We don't even have the capacity. Guru is telling us it's not really, there's an inner power that's inside of us that's, that's helping us achieve all that we're achieving. So um, yes, we need to continue, but we would need to be mindful that it's really the true giver is, is our creator. He's given us a life. He's given us creation to experience this life. And um, and yes, it's very, very important to share. Uh, um, Sikhs are generally very good at, at sharing. Guru has given us this concept of this fund where we give a portion of our earnings for the betterment of others and, and, and um, so that we can share our Sikh values and messages as well. So we need to continue with that. Um, I wanna, I wanna sh share a short story with you about Mudpai Maskinji. He came across a Sikh once, and um, and he found he was very upset. He was crying, and Mudpai um, Maskinji asked him, "What's going on?" And uh, he said, uh, "This is the first time in my life. This month I cannot give my this one because." You know, he earned a very small amount, like a hundred rupees, and this month he couldn't give his ten rupees to the to the gurus and Golak. And um, so, I think every every Sikh is is a is a sort of a is a uh, is a philanthropist because they are sharing. They're always sharing part of their and their earnings for for the betterment of others. In, in our community, we plan to continue um, to work with the youth, work with our city, work with the police to make uh, Abbasport a, a better place. And um, Garwani is a center to us. Simran is a center to us. Um, every Sundays we do Simran together. Uh, it's disrupted for the time being, but I think it's, it's going to open up and. Um, and it's just a matter of time. And we need to learn from this time how th this is a pause, like myself, I mentioned is we need to learn from this um, so that we can do a better job uh, in, in the future. Um, that's wonderful. Um, Dr. Sani, as an entrepreneur, I'm curious about what you see looking ahead. How can we use sort of an entrepreneurial perspective and and to take it um, to to talk about giving um, and and how to be more giving in a time when um, when many people are going to have um, you know just financial difficulties and other challenges already facing them sure so I'll talk about it from uh, two perspectives one is sort of uh, kind of I'm a chemical engineer, so uh, chemical engineers tend to look at processes. There's an input, there's an output, and then there's something happening, say a reactor or some um, accumulation. So what you want to do is to make sure that things keep moving, things are going out. If it is wealth, for example, or resources being consumed or whatever, there's things, what we want to do individual is to figure out, should we be actually each of us be consuming as many resources? Second is sort of the accumulation aspect of it, whether it is, and what I mean by accumulation is, is the wealth disparity growing? In a time of crisis like this, there's an opportunity for people to profit from this. 
So profiteering, etc. Don't do that because that is causing greater disparity to grow. And then comes the output. The output, in fact, this is an opportunity for us to increase our output to be able to decrease that accumulation. Whether you call that philanthropy or or don or whatever it might be, it is that we've got a reservoir of excess, and that excess should be used to make alterations. Now, when you use the word philanthropy, um, it has an anthropocentric word, which actually I don't quite like that word because it just means liking people. Uh, Phil, liking, love for anthropy people. Well, what about all the other creatures in the world? It's a very arrogant view for us to look at it as saying man is only supreme and we're just part of the whole continuum. We're part of everything else that is interconnected. And if this crisis doesn't remind us how pushing wildlife to the brink of extinction and exploiting them doesn't come back to bite the anthropocentric view, then I don't know what it is. So I think we need to actually look at it from the standpoint of philanthropy quotes uh, that we need to not only watch out for our fellow human beings, which is sort of the firefighting mode that we're doing because this is what is front and center for us and people are dying and it's just naturally that this could happen to me. But I think that is also looking at it is from a very selfish perspective of because it affects me or it could affect me, I'm gonna do something about it. No, it should be something that we do because we are part of this continuum and we have changed the balance of what things are. So we should be looking long-term strategically as to what differences we will do in our conduct to create a sustainable lifestyle. So what I would say is that in long, in a short term, we need to feed people. We need to give people lifestyle, uh, you know, some jobs, and we need to provide medicines and give, create vaccines, etc. But my view is all of this is actually relatively short-term firefighting, because the next pandemic and the next pandemic can emerge. What this is telling us is. Step back and reflect for how. Think about what is going on, what is fundamentally these things to actually emerge, and where is the tinder that catches fire each time for these wildfires to propagate. And it is good, needed. But eventually you have to say, well, think about fire prevention instead of firefighting. So our efforts of sort of uh, uh, philanthropy, so to speak, should be directed in equal measure towards firefighting and preventing. Prophylaxis and prevention, nobody wants to fund initially vaccines, companies, you know, and as entrepreneurs, business plan, whenever people, I have some friends who are trying to get vaccine companies off the ground, even now, now they're getting a lot of interest. But earlier, nobody would want to invest in a vaccine because they're like, yeah, you sell it once and you're done. I, mean, I want to sell a drug that I can keep selling to the, the, the patient repeatedly. So uh, we almost need to, I, I dare say, uh, like a this one or a, you know a hundredth, if not a tenth, which goes towards maintenance of the common good of the environment of the of the you know sustainable lifestyles, things that will allow us to look at new philanthropic models or new models which are directed towards uh, conservation in a much broader sense of sustainability. Because we have one plan. We have only a certain number, and we are having a disproportion. In fact, scientists are calling this the Anthropocene term planning to prevent these types of pandemics and epidemics. And to some extent, it is still selfish because it is threatening our own self. We need to be driven by higher purpose of Sarbat Dabhala. Sarbat doesn't only mean human beings. It means other things too. So let's try to figure out what is it that we're going to do from a philanthropic perspective. So from an entrepreneurial side, I would say I look at it as a problem. There is a need, 
So there are three things that go into an entrepreneurial perspective that I have. You know, brains, sweat, and money. Brains is sort of what is the need, what is the problem? That's pretty amply clear to us as to what the problem is over here. Then comes the question of sweat. Are there people who are like-minded and who can believe in this? And I feel that six are ideal, ideally suited for that perspective. And I don't mean the word sick nominally. I think anybody who is living by the principles of underlying sikhi is a sick. And a sick who is a turban-wearing sick like me, who if he's not living by the principles of sikhi, is not a sick. I think we need to kind of also look towards not just a narrow definition of what sikhs are. And if that is the sweat part that goes into the endeavor. And then third part is the money part. And I think money, we will need to figure out what role can be played where everybody contributes a little bit. Those who are making more money contribute more, just the principle of the that's one type of thing. Those who are making less contribute less, but everybody contributes something to be able to give back to not only the anthropocentric view, but to the larger perspective. Uh, so that, you know, because Western thought has taught us to think about human beings as supreme. Human beings are unique because we have the power of reflection. And, you know, uh, the Manuk Janam is supposed to be uh, kind of higher up because it gives us the power of reflection. But if you're not using that reflection properly, then we are no better than any other animal uh, in that uh, regard. So I think this is a time for us to reflect how we will change our philosophy in, uh, you know, interacting and conducting ourselves in the world. Um, yes, that's, it's, it's a lot, it's a challenging time that we're in right now. And um, I just want to take a moment actually to see, um, reach out to our audience and see that, I remind them that if they have any questions or reflections for us, that they can post them on the question um, and, and question board on the chat screen. Um, and please do remember to mention your name and the city that you are in. Um, thank you. Um, so I would um, uh, like to continue to talk a little bit more about um, sort of the future. And although well, it looks like Dr. Sani is going to be coming right back with us. Okay. Um, as we look um, at the future and at this turning point, this inflection point and in, in that is happening, um, there are lots and lots of things to do. Um, but to try to focus, bring the focus back down a little bit towards our own community um, and to Sikhi and, and to using both the principles of Sikhi and perpetuating uh, Sikhi, especially among our youth. What can we do to, um, how, 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 what do you see as new um, pathways that we can forge as we go ahead, um, given that, you know, what, like we said, we're not physically able to get together and also our kids are sometimes not engaged in the physical Gurdwara that we've had. So could we use this time and how can we use it? What do you envisage that the future can look like um, to bring in the youth so that um, they can they can access the, the wealth of Gurbani and, and realize what it means um, in their daily living? Dr. Carlo, would you like to? Um, personally, I... I spend a lot of time on YouTube. Um, uh, you know, it's amazing how much is out there. You punch in any Shabd and you can get 10 Kirtanias singing that Kirtan for you. So there's a wealth out there. Um, the idea is getting people to get, 
get to that path. Um, people, we need to convince our young people how beneficial it is for them to understand Garbani and understand the message of the Guru. Basically, Guruji is telling you, listen to the Guru, otherwise you are going to drown in the world. This smile is going to take us and torment us. It might be pleasing to you at the moment, but in the long run, it's going to get to you somehow. Um, so what we need to do is we need to come up with messages aimed at the youth. Though. Uh, I understand the message, so I have no problems. Uh, fortunately, I, I grew up in India, and I have a good understanding of Punjabi, and I had a good understanding of I can read and write Punjabi as well. So when I, I can punch in any shabd, I can listen to it. I mostly understand it. Um, and then we have things like apps like iGarvani. So you can also punch in that shabd in iGarvani, and it gives you exactly what the shabd is all about, and in Punjabi and in English. Um, so I think we need to explain that to our, our youth as well, that you can access this. Uh, so we sort of need a medium so that we can share where they can go to understand uh, different messages that are out there. Um, uh, and then maybe if there's there are gaps in that, we need to fill in those gaps. Um, the, the organizations like Sikri or, or um, the other um, Sikhi to the maps and all those the, the organization, that's where they need to come in and fill in these um, uh, gaps. And uh, we as Sikhs, we need to contribute towards these organizations so they can be successful organizations. Um, the, otherwise, if they don't have the, the financial uh, um, abilities, they cannot uh, fill in these gaps. Uh, that's very, very important. Dr. Sani, what do you think we should do to engage the youth? Because, you know, as Dr. Kahlo pointed out, there is actually quite a lot available. Some of it is wonderful and some of it is questionable, but, um, but you know, what can we do to engage our youth in, in order to get them to where they are even accessing stuff? Um, so um, I think one aspect is that, yes, there is a lot of wealth of information out there. The question is, will anybody go and look, you know, um, uh, there is a wealth of information in the Granth but the uh, ability for people to learn, interpret, and to be able to understand what is the message in there can be challenging. So I think uh, young people, uh, most people, uh, not only young people, uh, are motivated by role models. And I think the role model, this is where, uh, even if you look back, the Janam Sakis, et cetera, had uh, a role to play because they humanized the context and they imparted a message from that. So maybe there is a thought that we could have um, uh, some kind of an a modern day Janam Saki equivalent because people could look at it and say, well, those were things from, you know, 500 years ago and stuff, and now things are different. But maybe there are equivalent things of this part that motivate people. We create some role models where people say, yeah, this is, I can understand this. This is something that is applicable to my life. And uh, they then reach out and then they take an interest. You've got to have an initial hook that gets them engaged. If there isn't that initial hook, then they are lost in the ocean and they're never going to go and dive below the surface. I mean, most of us go on top of the ocean. There is a lot more ocean underneath. 
but we never kind of go below the scratch the surface. So I think to do that, role models play a, 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 a big role because they will also be able to speak the language that these youth right now are speaking, which unfortunately or fortunately is not the lingua franca, isn't um, the languages. At that time when the Granth Sahib was uh, authored, that was the lingua franca. Everybody understood what the common people spoke and that language was attempted to be put down. A language has evolved since then and people now are uh, speaking different languages. So we have to be able to uh, provide a way for them to understand that. And I think it gets exemplified just like uh, when you try to tell people about uh, Sikhi, a non-Sikh person, for example, if you talk about the principle of Langar, the principle of Langar suddenly brings together the fact that everybody is equal, uh, nourishment, giving, um, service, so many concepts can some, somehow be exemplified in that seeing what langar embodies. So by taking that, everybody can understand what a meal is. And they then understand the aspects of what goes into the meal, the preparation, the service, the community, and it suddenly makes sense to them. They get it. So I think it's the same sort of a thing over here when you're taking a complex message uh, which has, uh, you know, in a language that people don't, with the young folks or myself for that matter, don't fully understand. And then by taking good role models, so we should find within our community good role models that can speak to the youth in that regard because ultimately it's about living your life. It's, it's about sort of how you conduct yourself on some principles on a day-to-day -day basis and how do you sort of, you know, uh, internally reflect upon things. It's a very personal experience. And then that circle of good people, good role models becomes a Sangat. And that Sangat can be anywhere in the world. It can be decentralized. Uh, and technology allows us connectivity to this Sangat. Uh, we can reimagine how, uh, what will be the new experience. And I think the new generation is looking for something of that sort. Uh, for gathering. I'm not saying we do this only on social media because I think social media has created against this bipolar type of response of, you know, fear and reward type of a thing that how many likes did I get and that was my reward and I'm afraid nobody liked me and so I'm now anxious about this. I think that is not the way for us. We need to sort of rise above this polarity that the Western thought is forcing upon us of fear and greed type of a thing, of good and bad, of you know, heaven and hell, we should not be looking at polar responses in this fashion, but live ourselves in an eternal thing of Chardi Kala, knowing what we know is within us is good. And the guru is going to help us bring that out and reinforce that so that we can live our lives uh, properly and in a, in a spirit of Chardi Kala. So I think finding role models, connecting them with technology to be able to kind of give people some pointers, but so that they want to come. We shouldn't be forcing the young people to come. They should want to, want to join on their own. And that when, when as an entrepreneur, I always look for, if I'm finding another entrepreneur to take over a new venture, I want to see them pulling. I'm not going to be there pushing them because pushing is an exhausting process. Day in and day out, you're going to be pushing people. That's not how things get done. Things get done when people automatically. So when Guru Gobind Singh Ji laid out the vision for the Khalsa, it was a pull, the ultimate pull, saying this is the aspiral vision. Who's in? And then people stepped up and they pulled. And when those punch piaras pulled, a whole bunch of other people joined and everybody was pulling. We are going to a push model now. 
where we're trying to push our kids that go do this, go do this. If they don't see the value, it's going to be a pushing uphill ultimately that say, you know what, I don't understand anything that goes on in the Gurdwara Sahib. Thank you very much, but I'm not going to come. As small kids, we can get them. When they get to be teenagers, it becomes an uphill task, and then we lose them after some point in time. So it, if we, it is up to us to be able to create an experience for them, which is something that they understand, they can empathize, they can get value from. And when they see that, we, they will be pulled, and they will pull a lot of people along with them. And then we will hopefully realize a different vision. So we have a question here from um, Rupinder um, Kaur. I'm not sure where they call they're connecting from. Are there any resources or Bani translations available in simple terms for elementary kids, which can help this generation to start automatically stepping into the path of Sikhi? Do either of you have um, an idea about any uh, simple translations available for this generation? Uh, on, on this topic, so I would humbly okay. say that right from the outset that no, what I try to do is to speak to my children uh, from the limited things, imperfect things that I myself might, uh, might know. But I'm sure that uh, the Sikh Research Institute itself offers uh, a lot of wealth of that information. I was surprised by looking at their website as to the depth of information that's out there. And I know that uh, Inniji has authored many good children's books that uh, speak to some of those uh, aspects for elementary school age kids. The Khalsa schools that are run by many of the Gurdwaras and the curriculum that's there speaks a lot to uh, those. So I think I would explore those areas for, for one. Yes, actually, I think um, that their uh, Sikh Research Institute does have some books. They're not maybe direct translations, some of them, but they are taking the concepts um, and values in, in uh, Sikhi and highlighting them. So there are definitely lots of um, good children's books, and thanks to any Benji. Um, there are some others that are starting to come out. Um, I think it's interesting, but... Um, a Google search might reveal some. On, um, there are there are authors coming up in the UK and in California who have taken a shabad and have tried to interpret it for kids um, in a in a sort of a kids way of doing it. And so some of those are available online um, that way. And then um, we have another question from actually Inni Panji in Connecticut. She says it seems like the world is grieving, and there are a lot seems to be a lot of talk about this being uh, COVID being a punishment from a so-called God. And she would love to know what we think about it um, from you know different perspectives. And um, I, I my thinking would be that we have a lot of uh, Sikhi has a lot of strong emphasis on hookum, and it would this would be an interesting time to. Um, figure out what, um, Dr. Alon, what do you think about the concept of hukam? And is it a punishment or what is it? That's a very um, difficult question. Um, Guruji tells us, this ka hukam buj sukhoi, this ka naam rakkantaproi. Understanding hukam is very, very difficult, but this is part of, the COVID is part of our life. And um, we we have to accept it. We have no choice. And uh, if we try to question it, why we will run into problems. So it is. So we accept it. And how do we improve our lives? How do we go around it? How do we um, help ourselves? How do we help our children? How do we help our communities? Uh, that's the right path. And we look to the guru. 
he tells you in the next tiska hukum, buj sakoy. If you understand the hukum, we will have peace. And tiska nam, rakanvray, put it around your neck, nam, put the nam in your heart. That's to me, bani and nam is not only for the mind, it's for the whole body. Every cell in our body has intelligence. And bani is not just for the mind, it's for the whole body. And uh, the bani has to go into our hearts. That's the biggest uh, concept that I understand from the Gurbani. Um, put it into your heart. Heart, um, I digress, but the heart is, uh, has more electrical energy than the mind. It's 100 times more powerful electrically than the mind. The heart's magnetic field is one uh, 5,000 times more powerful than the brain. Once the heart is happy, Gurbani says, Kamal Pargas, Rebekah Simon Kamal Pargas, the heart opens up. And when the heart opens up, the whole body is in a different mode. So Bani has to enter our hearts. Nam has to enter our hearts. We can't be just reciting it like a mechanical machine. It has to enter every part of our body. And um, when it does, your experience is different. And then you understand hukam. Um, everything is created by the creator. Uh, we are here to experience to the fullest and uh, we're not gonna experience that. We're gonna, we can't be fighting why, why, why? We can't live in fear. Uh, fear is basically, um, anxiety for example, is a fearful thoughts about the future. We can't, we can't live that way. The guru teaches us to live in the moment. Depression is sad thoughts about the past. We take those thoughts away. We live in the in the moment, and the fear and anxiety are both uh, the uh, depression and anxiety are gone. And um, and the only way to do that is try to understand the shabd, and try to un and repeat the shabd, and understand and place it in your heart and in your mind and your body. And when you do that, the, we start to understand hokam as well. Very nice. Yes. Um, it's sort of interesting at some level, it seems like you need, um, you need both Chardikala and Hukam and they're flip sides of the same thing in a way, because if you are in Chardikala, you're accepting Hukam. And if you accept Hukam, you're in Chardikala um, in, in a way. Um, the, we have another question from Sharon Kaur in Chicago. She says, um, now that COVID has made our community rethink how we can serve our communities and understand the true concept of langar. What advice would you give all six listening today that we should think even bigger in term, time of need to not only serve langar to vulnerable populations of societies, um, but um, can you share other ways that we as a community can come together to make an impact? Um, Dr. Sani, would you like to take a go on that? So, meaning I think I, I, I spoke about the uh, concept of sort of, you know, the uh, focusing not only on our immediate community and on on humans but also on understanding sort of the root cause of what caused these types of pandemics this is a conflict that is happening with human existence to some extent in conflict with the nature uh, and if you look at our, whether you look at saying, you know, Janam 
Yeah, we have different genomes. Uh, the, six, uh, the, the human genome is regarded as being of the highest order because we have the ability to reflect and think and control our senses. So in this regard, if there is things that we can do to l l examine more deeply the reasons why these types of pandemics are emerging because of overexploitation of resources, maybe we go beyond serving longer and start thinking about how we will create more sustainability. Dr. Kahlo, tell me about how you um, think that you can take, I know you're already, um, your, your organization is working to give food in the, uh, to the homeless that you've been working at. Um, where do you see it going um, in the future with um, expanding and bringing the kids along? Uh, one of the things that uh, we're working on um, for the future is to um, have after-school programs for the kids. When the parents are working and the kids come home, they have nobody observing them and they they fall into the wrong path. And uh, <clears throat> we're trying to, this program already exists in Abbasville, but we want to bring it to all the schools as well so that they can be participating in sports, uh, arts, easier uh, schooling. Uh, so that they can complete their homework. Uh, they will have assistance for that. Um, they will have fun playing sports. You know, exercise is so important for your well-being. And nowadays, what we see is kids are always on their phones or they're all on their computer. They don't even go outside into, into the sunlight, which is so important, to again, for your well-being. Um, so we want to engage these, these youngsters so that they can be exercising, so that they be interacting with the adults, they're interacting with each other, rather than, you know, sometimes we see kids sitting uh, together, but all of them are on their phones. And um, it's it's a very, very difficult fight to get them off their phones and then get them engaged. And uh, so that's sort of what we're working on with the, working together with the school district is getting the kids to be more engaged in the community with each other, with the adults, with the teachers. And uh, so that's that's what um, one of the aims over the next year or so is to get the after-school programs going all across uh, Abbotsford. That's wonderful. Um, thinking that um, I it'd be really interesting to know, you know, we've talked about the community, we've talked about a lot of some of the changes, but um, I'm wondering how each of you in your own ways has um, has really uh, sort of responded to a change in within yourself in the in the face of COVID. What do you think um, has happened to you, and um, how you have uh, processed and planned for the future, with, given what's happening right now, Dr. Sani? Uh, I think. Uh, let me talk firstly at the physical level. Uh, <laughs> I've tried to take this. You know, I can't go to the gym anymore. Uh, so I've taken uh, down to sort of simpler ways of exercising. So I walk seven to eight miles a day. Uh, the dog is, I think, a little tired of me by now kind of a thing. But uh, I, you know, I've lost some weight. Uh, I've improved my health in that regard. I've gone towards not eating much of a dinner. Uh, so sort of uh, having just a very light dinner, so more like two meals a day. So I've cut down the overall food consumption. Uh, it's actually improved my health. It's it's uh, lowered my blood pressure. It's allowed me to sort of you know become healthier in general and and lose some weight and stuff like that. So 
So that on a physical level is something that I've, I've done because now I don't have to go for as many business dinners and things of that nature. And I don't eat outside in restaurants as much. So it's less unhealthy food, et cetera. So it's actually been, been good. Uh, the second aspect of sort of, you know, from the standpoint of family, I, I mean, I'm spending a lot more time with the, with the kids and I can take more interest in their lives and stuff, uh, whether or not they may like it. Or, but uh, <laughs> I think it's helping. We, we actually play a lot of games together. So quality time with the family has improved. Uh, reaching out to friends uh, has improved more. So, you know, we do a lot more Zoom calls with my uh, undergraduate, uh, uh, you know, folks that I went to college with, et cetera, our family, et cetera. So we, we, we actually have gotten closer over there too. So that's a benefit that has come about. Um, uh, from the standpoint of uh, the professional life uh, 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 and some of the companies, uh, we have found new ways through Microsoft Teams to collaborate. There is some detriment that we can't do the lab work and some of the manufacturing challenges are there where harder to kind of uh, get get work done. But we orchestrated a move from, uh, we moved our company uh, in this uh, couple of weeks ago to a new location and the whole move happened and everybody was able to kind of get to the new facility, get it operational. And so that's that's also working out. In fact, we are in the process of launching a new company in this process and I'm daily on calls with uh, doctors and uh, with uh, you know uh, uh, regulatory experts. I spoke to the FDA, even the FDA folks are sitting at home and they were still able to take calls and things. So. What we are finding is that everybody is experiencing this. When a global event like this happened, everybody experienced and everybody's cutting a little bit of slack in terms of being less harsh with each other, accommodating, understanding perspectives. Here's an opportunity. So I think being optimistic, you can always look at it saying, yeah, there's a bunch of negative stuff, but it's also an opportunity to do things a little bit differently and for us to kind of accommodate each other a little bit more. Dr. Kahlo, why don't we switch to you? Um, Yes, so there's been a lot of changes in my life as well. Um, <clears throat> work has changed. We are doing mostly tele, uh, telemedicine now, um, which means I can actually work from home as well. Um, I still go to the office and um, we still um, talk to our staff and, and doctors, but in the afternoons, I often work from home. Um, everything is uh, in, in, um, uh, available on my computer now. I can e-fax, uh, e -fax, any uh, prescription that needs to be sent or a blood test that needs to be done, I can just send it from my computer. It's simple as that. And we were sort of forced to do all this in the last um, few weeks. Um, and then again, yes, the, the families are on, my kids are doing online school. So I can, I see them a lot more than I was seeing them before, which is a really positive thing. And we have dinner together and, um, we share stories and we discuss things a uh, lot more than we were doing before because everybody was so busy doing their, you know, in their the way of doing uh, things. Um, but it's it stopped all those, all that has changed. Um, I used to play badminton three times a week and um, we haven't been able to do that, so I miss that. But uh, <clears throat> I exercise at home. Um, but I, I still want to go back to badminton as soon as possible because it's um, studies show a racquetball <clears throat> games are very, very beneficial for your long-term um, mobility and, and uh, mental being as well. So people who are facing dementia, they racquetball is very highly recommend as, uh, recommended as well. So uh, sports, you know, it's important. I mean, look at the, all those people who used to watch their favorite thing was to come home and watch sports. They're not able to do that. It's, it's been, it's been hard on 
some of my patients, it's not something I did, but my patients complain they can't watch TV, they can't watch sports. So it's going to be nice once that sports, all the sports come back online as well. Yes, uh, and, and uh, we've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings, a um, um, lot more than we did there, because it's it's far more convenient to do uh, Zoom meetings for me than to physically from travel from one place to another, um, which I have often had to take time off to do that. I don't, no longer have to take the time off, or if I have to, it's a small portion of my day. So it's 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 much more convenient. I'm also particularly interested in. Um... You know, we're, we each of us has a different way of um, reacting to this whole thing. Um, when it all first started, um, I remember as a as a physician who was working in the hospital um, before we before we knew it what was coming, we could see it coming, and um, it, it was all a big unknown. And you knew something was going to hit, but you didn't know what it was going to be like. And um, and it um, made me realize, as I you know, as I you look at yourself. That um, that you know that it's it's so easy to get to get uh, to be fearful to not know what's going on um, to don't know if you have the capacity to deal with it um, and then on a personal level to realize that you know you could die and it it was interesting to suddenly have that um, question even though we should really keep that front and center in our in our lives but we don't um, you know Gurbani tells us over and over again that you know it's this this life is so ephemeral and it's gone and we just have this moment um and we don't live in the moment but we um and we forget that we will die and we amass things and we amass issues and we amass fights and we amass you know and 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 we don't realize that that we go with all that debt around our our, our neck so to speak um and uh, and so it's it's been an interesting pause and uh, to sort of reflect on that and say, you know, how what really is important? What is it that we want to take with us? What is it that we want to leave? And who are we leaving it for? And in what form? Um, how do we um, how do we engage kids um, that we want to leave stuff for? Um, what form do we leave it in that they can actually use it? Um, or is it going to become something in a dusty museum? Uh, you know, and, and, and I speak specifically of Sikhi because um, for me, Sikhi is very alive. And in my in my daily um, sort of actions, I try to try to center myself on that and try to use that as the foundation of what I do. Not always successfully, but but that's sort of my goal. And um, I like to read Gurbani and I like to understand it. Um, but. But it's interesting to me, and 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 I think about it more. I think now even um, about you know how can we make it as living and breathing um, alive for our kids and the next generation? How do we engage them? Um, how do we make them feel that this is a value to them as well? Um, what are the forms we can take? So I would appreciate what what do you think has been going on? How have you been coping with this uncertainty and? And what do you think is worth leaving, working on? So I think, uh, you know, uncertainty um, is a fact of life. Uh, I think those of us who think that we have certainty are somewhat delusional in that regard. It doesn't mean that one doesn't plan. One needs to have a plan, uh, but one should realize that plans can be altered in a blink of an eye. Um, 
we we may be arrogant to think that uh, we are in control full control of our destiny but realizing that we are just another piece in the grand puzzle and things can change in the blink of the eye i'm reminded of uh, there was a i think a jaram sakhi where somebody had come to gurunanak dev ji and asking him saying you know you're a all seeing all learning learned person can you tell me how long i'm going to live um is it going to be will i live to see my uh, grandchildren grow up and would i see my daughter married off and uh, uh, 20 years 30 years gurunanak dev ji's answer to him was that uh, we don't even know this breath that is going out of our body will it actually come back so that is the transient nature of what life is and the uncertainty that we live with and particularly in the age of a respiratory virus like covid it becomes all the more important saying that that next breath that you're taking in is it the one that may actually kill you uh so it never before has thing come into such sharp focus so acutely but i think going into a fearful regressive mode where one is afraid of everything around you and sort of uh shrinks down is not the path of a sick the path of the sick is to be appropriately aware but at the same time not fearful and optimistic and look towards okay these are the new rules of the game these are new rules how do i adapt myself to the new rules and conduct myself with the principles i have a moral compass with inside me which guides me on things i don't need a rule book i don't need of course it's helpful to have the time tell you what to do and the cdc to tell you what to do and how to conduct yourselves and how to anyway so, so the point of all of this is that uh, we shouldn't live fearful we should be cautious but at the same time start looking be outward looking not be only inward for reflection but outward for action i just want to make a comment about that as well i i started reading garbani in grade 8 9 i think i mentioned that earlier in my biography that i went to the gurdwara and paisa was telling uh, doing a katha about pai gopala ji how he was doing japji sahab and gurdwara gave an explain to him the benefit of chapki sab and how much and that was an inspiration for me my my parents were there my brothers and sisters were there the guru connected with me that day and i i understood what he was saying so i came home and started memorizing chapki sab uh trust me i had no idea what i was reading i just memorized it and continued to memorize it and um few days days ago i i went with a for a walk with my daughter and um she asked me a question jesus are you happy uh, i thought that was a beautiful question and um i started reflecting and i remember those grade 9 and 10 those years were perhaps the happiest years of my life and it was, maybe it was just because gurbani was when it was was cuz a young person has less needs and gurbani is so, provides so much for you even though i did not understand it so when i came to university a few years later that was the first time i was able to get a hold of translations of garbani and um at at the same time i started i was studying psychology and i was fascinated how the gurus captured human understanding 500 years ago 
and it was relevant to me in 1989. Every time there's a crisis, every time there's a problem, if you can go back to the guru, the guru will bring you back to true reality. The, the guru will have a solution for your problem. Uh, guru brings a message of hope. Guru tells you that you can change your destiny. Uh, guru tells you that anything is possible. Uh, when you, the more you understand Gurbani, the more you reflect on the Gurbani, it will give you the tools to deal with any problem. The main issue is how do we bring people to the Guru? That's the main issue. And um, uh, I think we need to have more sessions. We need to have more conferences. How do we engage our youth? How do we how do we how do we tell our youth Gurbani is essence of life? It's gonna it's gonna help you in every aspect of your life. And how do we engage the whole world? How do we tell the whole world we have something? Uh, we have a treasure. This treasure, it continues to continues to feed us. We we just need to be able to share it. We need to be able to tell the world about it. That's very true. That's actually, um, you know, brings to, uh, together both of uh, what you were saying. One is have, bringing the, the new kids on board, the younger generation on board is, is critically important. And, you know, as you pointed out, Dr. Sani, it's the pull has to is more powerful than the push. And the, the, the question is, are we doing enough to open up the door to them in terms of not telling them, oh, this is wonderful. Do this, do this, do this. Um, but how can we act so that we can um, actually um, invite them in and say, you tell us, what do you think you need? Um, are, we, are we giving them an opportunity? It's a, it's a good question because, it's a, you know, kids will often, especially younger generation growing up here, to make them, you know, first, they have to be convinced that this is important. And, um, and it's, it's easy as an adult to say, oh, I know that this is of value. And I'm telling you to do this, um, but but I think maybe we as adults need to figure out a way where we can open the con invite them to the conversation to be an equal partner and say what is it that you need what and how can we fulfill that uh, what can we do together? So one one suggestion might be is that uh, we for example have gone to uh, uh, a few days uh, in the week but not all, uh, every day. We'd, but uh, doing, uh, say, uh, Jabji Sahib part in the morning and then taking uh, a walk from uh, with, uh, the pothis we have and uh, then uh, doing the ardas. And when we ask the kids sort of what is the question that may be, what is some of your concerns, what are your things that are um, giving you, making you either uh, uncomfortable, fearful, uh, aspirations, blessings, what is it that you may be looking for? And then actually doing... Uh, the part and taking the walk and then having them uh, read the translation of the walk and sitting down and maybe discussing that a little bit. So what you find is that the walk oftentimes is uh, surprisingly accurate because you inherently know what is the right thing to do. You need the reinforcement from the Guru Sahib to kind of guide you in that process. So as and when they start seeing that be actionable, that they see that what their concerns were are being guided 
by the Guru Sahib's word, they will start believing in this because ultimately it is about belief that the Guru will come through for you and will guide you. And it's not that they're going to be, there's going to be a prescription that comes from it. It's not prescriptive, but it is reinforcing what you already know is right with your moral compass. And once they realize the essence of this, they will un unlock the mystery of how is it that the walk can actually guide me to the right ways. And once they start seeing that, it's a small bite-sized thing that can be done. It's reading a small walk after you do the Japji Sahib. They will end up memorizing Japji Sahib in this process, understanding the concept of Ardas, seeing the walk and translating the walk themselves, and being able to address some concern and bring peace to their mind. It takes all of 15 minutes to do, and you don't even need to do it every day. I mean, ideally you would, but if you can't, then doing it even once or twice a week becomes a way for them to start engaging with that hook. Once they start seeing that value, the peace come from it, understanding that they can start meditating a little uh, and getting uh, calm. So the value has to become clear to them. And once the value is clear, the pull will be generated. Um, I agree with you, uh, Dr. Saab. What kids, I think our new generation, um, they're more, they want us evidence. And so a lot of um, research is being done on, on mindfulness and um, there's people doing um, MRI scans um, showing what happens to your brain when you meditate and what happens to your brain when you have this kind of thoughts. And we basically need to bring both of our, our Garbani and the, the scientific research evidence and bring it together so we can share, we can show our, our youth that this is what the guru is talking about. This will happen to you if you read Garbani, understand Garbani, put it in your heart um, because the evidence is there. Science is now starting to prove what the gurus have been saying for the past 500 years that when you meditate, you reach a much higher stage, your brain cells work much more in conjunction than when you're not doing it. Um, so I think uh, work needs to be done in, the, in that area so where we can connect Garbani with science. I think that will, that will make a huge impact on our youth and uh, they'll, they'll dwell, uh, grow, grow love for Bani and uh, So on behalf of Sikri, I'd like to thank Dr. Harsohenakor, Dr. Amarjeet Singh Soni, and Dr. Kuldeep Singh Kailan for taking for making time to connect with the Sikh world today. And thank you to you, our Isangat, for tuning in today and for spending this time with us. Um, I particularly enjoyed being uh, a background listener into this very rich conversation. It was lovely to be able to hear this conversation unfold, and I am looking forward to seeing where it progresses. Um, please tune in for our next live webinar, 1984, The Devoted and the Worldly, where we will be joined by Harinder Singh to answer questions such as, why was the Sri Harmandir Sahib and Akal Tak Sahib complex attacked? What is the Sikh historical context? How must the memory be kept alive 36 years on? Um, please tune into The Sikh Cast, a podcast produced by Sikri, where we explore the various issues and events affecting Sikhs worldwide. Vagrujika Khalsa. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.